program from a cultural perspective we find this program necessary because Hosea 4 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge but we as a people will turn this around Proverbs 4 7 states wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom with all that getting get an understanding again welcome to the program this evening with your host brother Elliot and brother Richard the number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage, and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. You can go to abb2me.com that's a-b-i-b-i-t-u-m-i.com forward slash time for an awakening and the live stream should be playing there. They stream out of Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In that TuneIn search engine just type in time for an awakening there you'll see the icon and you can stream the program live even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an awakening radio program with the live stream or the tune-in app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in time for an awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. It's time for an awakening radio program. With the fan page on Facebook and time for an awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on time for an awakening. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times and share with your friends. Also check out that time for an awakening marketplace in our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.06 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday edition the Sunday, February 26th edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, activists, organizers, and creators of the Philly Truce app, Brother Mazzy Kasher and Brother Steve Pickens will join us to talk about the creative efforts to stem the tide of violence that's plagued our communities in Philadelphia and other urban areas. We'll be right back. 
to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, 
but they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Hart Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How is things? How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I'm looking forward um, to this conversation about, um, you know, just dealing with truths and and, um, the youth deaths that are occurring because of and reasons that I would like to see us explore, at least for me to get a better understanding. So I'm I'm glad that um, Brother Cashier and Brother Pickens are are doing that organizing work to assist us in, what's that, leveling senseless deaths um, and violence um, in our community when we have so much potential for growth and development um, in this moment as in previous moments in time. You know, Richard, we kind of focus in on getting people on the program that's doing the work that's in these communities, uh, organizing and, and, uh, developing solutions to complex problems, uh, this plague of violence that is uh, plaguing our communities. And and keep in mind, Richard, this is a American problem. This is a national problem, this violence. And mm-hmm. being that we're here, it's, be, it's becoming a byproduct in our communities. But we're going to have to control it. We're going to have to come up with solutions to stem this tide of violence in our communities. We can't depend on anybody to do it. We're going to have to come up with creative ways to stem this tide. Uh, These brothers have come up with a way uh, in their mind to help with this complex problem. And I hope uh, that it's them on the line. I don't know whether it is. I'll see in a second. Uh, Let's go and open up one of these lines. Let's go to... Brother Mazzi or Brother Steve, is this you? Yes, this is uh, Steve. Picking. Brother Mazzi, speaker as well. How you doing, sir? Okay, great. Good. Got, got both of you here. Listen, I'm happy to have you on Time for an Awakening tonight with myself and Brother Richard to talk about what you brothers are doing in the community, which is an important work. And hopefully after tonight, we're going to touch on a lot of things, uh, the violence in our communities, uh, the letter that you and Steve, uh, you and Steve uh, Brother Mazzia, had put together and proposed it to the mayor and to city council and people that's running for mayor, uh, issues that might be related to what's going on in our communities in regards to this violence. But before we get into any of that, I want to talk about you two brothers as men um, because we see that Organizing, no, put it this way, becoming activists and then be able to organize in our community is a skill that everybody doesn't have. Uh, Always hold men and women 
that can get out there and organize in our community in high regard because it's a thankless job. It's something that needs to be done, but it's a skill that, that uh, some people have a talent for that can be taught to others. Uh, before we get started, just talk about you men. How did you men come together and then come up with this idea of this Philly Truce app to put out among our communities to, uh, to get the people to use it to become mm-hmm. a tool to help with this uh, plague of violence? And either one of you uh, can go first. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Brother Elliot. Go ahead, Steve. You can start. Brother Steve? Wait a minute. This might be Brother Steve. Brother Steve, is this you? Hello? Okay. This is Steve? Steve? Hello? I'll, I'll take it if he's having technical issues. Can you? Can I be heard? Oh, yeah. I can hear you. Okay. So this is my Z. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for having us. <clears throat> so, you know, how we got started was, uh, I think very casually and we didn't know exactly, uh, what we were getting into per se. Um, you know, Steve and I go back to uh, high school. We went to high school together in the late eighties, early nineties at William Penn high school. Uh, we used to be a board master there. And, uh, about three years ago, the, the tail end of 2020, we ran into each other for the first time in about five years or so. And, um, you know, at that time, the numbers were ticking up. It was October of 2020. The numbers were ticking up to about 500. Or, you know, there was a, a count up to 500 going around in the media. And, uh, you know, we ran into each other at, a, at an event which was uh, – a friend of ours, a mutual friend, was opening a barbershop, grand opening, and we started talking. And, you know, really, <clears throat> uh, I, I wasn't even living in Philly at the time. I think Steve had a kind of a heavy heart at the moment about some things that was going on, and we started talking about what, you know, we could do as, you know, now middle-aged men who've seen this, this cycle before. <clears throat> and one of the things that came up, in that conversation was, you know, I remember that in 1990, <clears throat> it was also 500 homicides because we were in 10th grade and we was about 15. And as we was talking, I started thinking, well, how did that really land on me when I was 15? What did that, what did that say to me? And it didn't really say a whole lot except other than, well, I live in North Philly and this is just the way it is here in this city. <clears throat> and so taking that into account, and I think the moment we watching a fellow classmate open a barbershop, which, you know, in North Philadelphia, which kind of instantly makes you a pillar of the community. And I think something about that moment just kind of hit us in a, in a way um, where we became inspired and we just started talking and talking and talking and uh, I'll let Steve take some of it, but how we really landed on the idea to do an app was we realized something very fundamental. You know, this this violent conflict resolution is very much uh, part of our culture here in this city. Um, it's, it's one of the things you learn early on how to navigate, how to make sure people respect you, things of that nature. 
Um, it's very important growing up in these neighborhoods. And it's very much a part of, 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 of how we get down here. And so we, we realize we face in a cultural um, shift that we got to attempt to bring about. And the idea of an app in this day and age and how they have been able to disrupt long-standing ways of doing things, whether that be Uber disrupting the cab industry, Airbnb disrupting the hotel industry, things like that. We figured that at least um, we will be heading in the right direction in terms of putting a tool in the mix that at least has the capacity to do the same. <clears throat> Excuse me. And how uh, we got to the point of cultivating that trust with the community to the extent that we have, we're still working on that, is by actually going out in the community in different ways with different touch points and letting them see us and feel our love for them. And that's really how we ended up um, unknowingly getting into some of these other programs that have emerged, uh, such as Peace Patrol, which is street outreach, and uh, Philly Truce Ambassadors, which is going into schools, doing assemblies, and try to uh, challenge young people with the with the we don't snitch mindset and all of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of like uh, from day one to to where we are right now in a nutshell. And um, you know we're entering our third year now. And if uh, Steve want to add anything to that, or if you want to ask a, a follow up question, I'm going to be quiet right now. Well, listen, brother Steve. Uh, listen, uh, uh-huh. let, let let me ask you because. Uh, Brother Mazee said that he wasn't even living in the city at that time when they came when he came back okay. to uh, kind of uh, uh, help your friend uh, open up his barbershop or at least be there to kind of celebrate his opening. So how did you how did you manage to talk Brother Mazee into coming back to the city and getting involved in a solution? <laughs> okay, thank, first um, I apologize. Um, you couldn't hear me earlier, but thanks no for having me on the show, having us on the show. Um, I really appreciate this opportunity to talk more about, you know, ways for people to get involved and also give some insight on how we began. So um, at that point in time, for me personally, it was a matter of the attention that the George Floyd homicide received nationally, if not internationally, and the public outrage and rioting and looting and just the, you know, all the chaos that was caused and couldn't bring anyone they no one could speak to the people so what that caused that that particular incident caused me to just reflect on well it's people black people or people of color black 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 and brown people that are dying every day right here in the city of philadelphia and also in other major cities across the country and it's not receiving nearly uh, a quarter of that amount of attention unless it's an interracial um, incident that occurred or homicide that occurred. <clears throat> we can break, fast forward till today, look at just what happened in Memphis with the uh, four policemen. No, I didn't, I, I, to my knowledge, I didn't see too many protests, no public outrage, you know, for whatever reason. So I'll leave that alone. But other than that, um, at that point, as far as um, a Z moving back to Philly, um, 
this was something that was after we began talking and the more we talked, it it, it, it kind of like was a calling for both of us. And the light went off like, you know, we really had to be the ones to carry this torch because the people that are our parents' age, you know, their ages, excuse me, they're, they're uh, you know, they can't do this work anymore. So we, we felt as though it was a calling for us at our age that we're able-bodied uh, men to do something, you know, and it happened to be and divinely inspired something innovative because we understood that the boots on the ground block, block, block by block and corner by corner, that's good and it's still well needed. But what we actually really needed was something that could blanket the entire city at the same time, we needed to reach the masses. Okay, uh, let let me throw this in here before I pass things over to Brother Richard, uh, Brother Mazie, and Brother Steve. Um, the the idea of the app. Before we get yeah. into putting the app together and knowing using social media, because a lot of young people are on social media. In fact, a lot of these things start whether they beefs or problems, they start in social media. So to me, that's a brilliant idea to come up with something like that and put it in the hands, almost directly in the hands of young people. But talk about um, how you strategically plan to introduce this to the community. Did you say, well, hey, listen, Brother Mazie, uh, let's try to go into some rec centers. Uh, let's see if we can get into some schools. Let's go into some of the churches and introduce this. Uh, how did you start to introduce it or just did you just introduce it introduce it in social media well a couple couple things you know to to echo what steve said about this being a calling that that means uh we know what we was doing (laughs) let me just put it like that right we we just knew we could and we needed to for whatever was burning in our hearts. So everything that we have done has been uh, divinely inspired and revealed on a very need-to-know basis. So our our plan was let's make the app, let's get some people to get trained as mediators and be on the app and let's tell people the app exists. That's all we knew in the beginning. Okay. Um, right. We did that. Um, just again, by the grace of God, you know, I had some skill sets from a former career in entertainment that <clears throat> showed me how to get people's attention and get things in the news and in the media. And, that was our primary introduction to the city um, through strategic press um, and the novelty of it all was working for us. And that is how we got our first notice, um, both for good and for, you know, for haterism, so to speak. And what we did was just keep finding different angles to keep this story in the news. And that's pretty much how we market ourselves. And at the same time, um, as I said, like the first summer, which was, would have been the summer of 2021, we were at so many community events, okay. you know, welcome America made in America and all the neighborhood stuff you could possibly imagine. 
And our volunteers were uh, just a wide range of people, uh, many ethnicities, many different neighborhoods, many age ranges. So we kind of saw right away that we've been given something that has major appeal and we just going to have to kind of follow where it leads us. And so, yes, it has led us into churches, you know, pastors have opened pulpits to, to talk, you know, during church service about it. Um, as we said, you know, school assemblies has become a big thing since the uh, end of last school year. Um, you know, what else? I mean, the peace patrol was huge. You know, we, the the Thanksgiving weekend of 2021, you know, we had a coalition come together and, and between that time and, you know, maybe April 22 had about a hundred different people from across the city um, sign up to do peace patrol, which is we actually go out, say, Hey, we out here protecting the community. Consider joining us. You can sign up here. Here's this is where you can download the app. Here's where you can do a, a you know, what we call Philly's opinion, our own, you know, gun violence impact survey and everything, you know, brother Elliot has just been revealed to us as needed. You know, now, you know, in year two going into year three, you know, we, we able to step back and see how, um, you know, if we would have known what we would have had to plan, we probably wouldn't have done it because it wouldn't have been attractive. It wouldn't have been appealing. But, you know, the, the the most high brought us through it to this point where we can now understand, well, this 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 problem um, not only has its historical roots and all the systemic things that make America, you know, the, the, the racist nation that it is, but even the addressing of the problem um, and the way that goes down is also reflective and emblematic of the same system. So what am I talking about? You know, how, how grants are awarded, how, you know, grant requests are, are written and, and the types of things that you can say and cannot say and ask for. Cannot ask. So we've just been brought lovingly, divinely to a point where we can now understand what needs to happen based on what we learned in the past two years. So we, we can't take a whole lot of credit other than we, we followed our heart and um, that that's what has brought us to this point. You know what I'm saying? To be quite honest with you. But you know, before I kind of talk about the, uh, the boots on the ground and, and, uh, and going into the homes and some of the things that, that uh, that's going on, it might precipitate some of this, stuff that we see uh richard uh i'm gonna pass the mic to you yeah because uh you know and and congrats you know um thank y'all for the the work and and hearing um this vocation of of uh two things you said brother mckenzie um the cultural dealing with the cultural shift and the historical um the historical aspect of the violence in our community especially as it relates to y'all are seeing it y'all are evolved from the 90s as far as high school and as you were saying as y'all were saying that or you were saying that it made me think because I'm I'm my high school year is 69 to 72 and the when we're talking about um deaths and violence it goes back to that time also 
So we are looking at a cultural aspect, which brings me to my my question that I'm having. And and it's just from your your particular experience, not necessarily what you're doing now, in relationship that when you mentioned about um being at being at um William Penn High School, what I'm interested in is and you kind of touched on it, but how in that historical moment, um, what was that perception or how did you, uh, as a young person, seeing that you had to navigate through the um, streets of Philadelphia with yeah. that violence going on? I think it's important yeah. for us to pull up, to start to pro- provide some context and some even our personal knowledge base as we move forward to solutions and as organizers. What was y'all experience and how did y'all interpret that um, violence that was going on at that time period in the 90s? Mm. I've been talking a lot. You want to jump in, Steve? <laughs> yeah, it's no, no problem at all. So to be honest, from from my standpoint, I actually traveled from Mount Airy to North Philadelphia to William Penn High School. So I took to to a, a, a trolley and a subway there. So to be honest, I was not as aware of that at that time of, uh, you know, I, I heard of, you know, the drug gangs and things like that. So it also seemed very isolated to me at that point in time. And to be honest, as a kid, 15 years old, 16 years old, you know, you feel invincible at certain ages. So I really didn't, you know, I wanted to play basketball, talk to girls. That was maybe about it. Other than that, you know, you never at certain ages, which I think that's actually what's changed now in the youth, is that they're very more advanced and aware of the times that we're in only because of social media and, you know, things are very accelerated um, at this point. But back then there were no cell phones, really. We had beepers. So, you know, it was less media, it was less influences in the music. You know, we had more positive music back then. So to be honest, I feel as though I was, my parents must have done a very good job of shielding me from the reality of what was actually going on. And to say that, um, to add to that is, um, that's kind of like where we are right now in terms of, I feel as though within the black community, we're not exactly just like I was not at that time. We're not exactly seeing this problem on the level of magnitude that we really should be seeing it on. And that's part, that's part of the problem. My naivety back then turned into what today is um, a full uh, inferno of empathy, a full inferno of, I need a solution. We need to stop this. So now it's a matter of waking our people up. Just like at one point in time when I was a a teenager, I wasn't really aware of what was going on. And it's a good thing, but at the same time, it's not so good because we don't really understand that. Let's be honest. This is disproportionately only affecting black and brown people in Philadelphia and across the country. So, um, yeah, that's what that's what I can say that I really wasn't, you know, keen on what was going on back then, the only bits and pieces, because it was two different worlds. Hmm. And, and it's an important point they want to come back to in relationship mm-hmm. to isolation, shielded, shielding, mm-hmm. and invincibility. 
and then the question of proportionality. But brother McKenzie, how 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 for you? Um, how was that experience um, as as that was going on? Yeah, very interesting. Um, you know. I lived at the time I went to uh, William Penn. I lived at uh, 19th in York. You know, sometimes, a lot of times I walked to school or walked home. If I was running late, maybe I I jumped on a C bus or something. Um, but you know, for me, that was um, very formative and informative time in my life. You know, coming from the part of North Philly where I was and then going down to a school kind of in lower North Philly where you had, you know, kids coming from Richard Allen, from the, you know, Cambridge Plaza, from them projects, from the Stanford Master Projects and all, you know, and just being in a big kind of cauldron with all these different energies, right? So, um, and, and, and just from my family's history too, you know, my family from North Philly, like a lot of kids, very poor, like a lot of, you know, this previous generation was. And having a having an idea of that and then seeing what my mother was able to do basically through education, you know what I mean, improve her lot, make things a lot softer for my sister and I. Um, I think all of that was, you know, working to form the person who I was. But the direct answer is, again, at 15, and then remembering it 30 years later that, yeah, in 1990 was 500 homicides. It must have penetrated. But I could say as, you know, 45, looking back when we started this, it didn't land on me as anything other than the way it is, right? And so I think the beauty of what we try to relate to young people is that you can't imagine how much more to life there is. Um, and and we have a duty to show you, and we hope we can cultivate the kind of trust and relationship that will allow you to allow us to show you. So I, you know, I, I didn't, I dealt with it because I had to. I certainly didn't appreciate it. You know what I mean? I, I was, you know, I was the kind of person who just made it through on, on wit. You know what I mean? I ain't do a whole lot of fighting. I mean, I knew it was a necessary tool to have, but you know, I prefer to talk through some stuff, which is kind of still who I am. You know, it really never made sense that we has so much animosity for one another. I understand it better, but I always thought we could be doing better as a people. I don't know how or why, it's just always been in me. And, and you know, go ahead. No, go ahead, Richard. Finish your thought. You know, it, it, it's interesting because when you said it never made sense, and, and the reason why I wanted to, I think that we, you know, should develop the context of, of, what, of how the effect and how broad or who's involved in this that brings these numbers because there's, as you said, there's a lot of other factors that are going on because when I was going through, and, and I know from junior high school through high school, um, yeah, it wasn't no social media, but um, the death rate was still was going up. 
Um, yeah. There was no cell phones. The death rate was still going up. And for yeah. me personally, um, you know, gang culture was, uh, you know, a um, prerequisite if you were mm-hmm. you know, a certain type of personality or in a certain neighborhood, right? And being in South Philly, um, lower South Philly, um, that, you know, that was, as you said, to me personally didn't make sense. But for mm-hmm. me also personally going through um, trying to get to junior high school, trying to get to high school, it was mm-hmm. something you had to be thoughtful of. Yeah. Because yeah. you didn't know, um, even if you wasn't involved, would you be, you know, involved, you know, indirectly? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, one of my friends, you know, going home, they stabbed him. They didn't stab me. Mm. And I didn't know he got stabbed until, until because he said, kept, keep walking. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. these dynamics. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in us being clear in the audience to being clear of the culture we're talking about, trying mm-hmm. to address, and how expansive is that culture, and how expansive mm-hmm. is the network of that culture? Because a lot of other young people are not being involved, but there is an image being projected about Black Philadelphia, you know, gang mm-hmm. culture that might be mm-hmm. bigger than the reality. And as you know, the work that you're doing. So that's I just wanted to to bring well, that. That's, that's a that's a great point because um, you you and that's and that's part of another reason why we try to work the media so hard because those images of us, those all that stereotypical stuff that gets reinforced. All that you hear, the way the, the 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 news is reported, you would think we all out here shooting and killing each other. You would think that every uh, young brother with, with with a ski mask on is. And the the reality is that there is a a lowered expectation and a you know a generally dehumanized image of us that we all are subject to buying into because it's so prevalent. You understand what I'm saying? It's like you you don't automatically escape um you know that 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 attitude towards black people because you're black. You got to be awakened to it to the fact that it's being fed to you and then be empowered to make a different choice. So that you're right. It's it's uh it's a huge complex of image making that is delivered to us about us that we a lot of times unwittingly perpetuate and unwittingly let our children digest without really doing the knowledge to what that is potentially setting them up for, Mm. you know? So that's, that's a great point. It's, It's very pervasive and, um, a large part of what the cultural shift is about is making some other things, um, some other things appear sexy and cool, so we could get those trending. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal, <laughs> to say the least. Brother Mazi and Brother Steve, you know, Richard spoke about his experience, and both of you mentioned yours. Let, let me throw mine in because I came, I graduated uh, in the later 70s. 
and it was a heavy gang issue then, a lot of killings in the city. But I see something insidious that had been going on and still going on. Now, I played ball, and a lot of my contemporaries went on to college, and some of them went on to play pro ball. But I decided to go down to the Navy. I had a job at the Navy Yard, arranged when I got out of high school. But I still like to play. The thing that was is it was heavy gang violence and neighborhood uh, 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 gangs that was going on in the mid and late 70s. Mm-hmm. What, what helped me get through is because I was a decent ball player and coaches from other areas would want me to play on their clubs. So I was able to move around to different areas of the city by playing ball and kind of circumvent a lot of the violence. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm looking now. All of those, uh, 90% of the rec centers, the outside leagues that I used to play, they don't even exist anymore. And I'm not talking about the leagues don't exist I'm talking about the facilities don't even exist anymore. So you see now that these young people really don't have any outlets in these neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. They don't. The rec centers is closed. The outside courts that used to be available, even when I was out there, and it ain't that been that long ago, don't even exist anymore. The South Philly neighborhood that I grew up in that had several leagues, and I'm talking about power, but you, I mean, you had leagues around the city, but then you had powerhouse leagues. A lot mm-hmm. of these places don't even exist anymore to play, mm-hmm. which leads our children to want to get involved in other things. And just like you said, with the, with the media perception, with a lot of these shows that they see on television, uh, with stuff going on in their homes, it leads to a lot of negative stuff and plus it's not that balanced i I heard uh brother steve talk about when he came from uh mount airy down to william penn that his parents used to kind of strengthen him with you know with with knowledge of self and knowledge how to move around a lot of these children might not be getting that in the home and and that kind of leads to my next question as far as you men with the app and intervening and going in on situations that needs to that needs aid and needs help when people mm-hmm. use the, the truce app and you're going into mm-hmm. the homes in the community and you see our yeah. people T- talk about some commonality because we listen we all here looking for solutions talk about mm-hmm. some commonality commonalities that you're seeing when you go into our homes and talk to the parents or even if it's one parent or the young people what do you what is what is what do you see there that's that's almost like a common denominator or a common thread? And then that question that answer might be different for either one of you. But uh okay. Steve or you or Mazi, you can be first. It's up to you. You can go well, Okay. Okay. Right off the top what comes to mind, um uh, you know Literacy challenges is one of them with the young people, right? Okay. Uh, one of the exercises we do, we go through a worksheet. And um, now I believe it might be at a sixth, seventh grade reading level. It's basically an accountability exercise. A um, lot of words 
uh, I see 12, 13, 14-year-old kids stumbling over that I don't think they should be. Um, that's one. Um, quite often, you'll see the kid that's kind of in the most in the mix, um, usually has lost somebody to gun violence, right, kind of acting out. Um, a lot of times you'll see that mom is not really um, exactly viewed as an authority figure. You know what I'm saying? Maybe a little bit more of a contemporary and the the way that mom reestablishes that is with uh, a threat. You know, I'll, I'll do this to you. I'll do that to you. I mean, we've seen, you know, parents put hands on kids in the middle of we sitting there trying to talk through a situation. I mean, you know, nothing over the top, but enough to let you know that, you know, it, it could get, it could get real. Um, those are the things that come to my mind. I mean, just in terms of quality of, um, parent child relationships. And then, you know, the big one that we already all know is a lot of parents are just having to be out of the house to earn, to take care of the household, you know, and, and the big one, which I hate to have to admit, I, in all the homes I've been in, I probably I encountered one dad or well, one stepdad who, you know, barely wanted to look me in my face, didn't shake my hand, and then I, I encountered one pop-pop. You know, the mom's dad was there. Other than that, in all these houses I've been in with young people, I haven't seen no fathers and that's, um, that's, you know, we already know what that means, you know? Uh, brother, brother Mazzee, uh, I don't, I, I don't know whether yours is the same, but talk about it from your perspective because a brother, Steve, I think that was brother Steve that was just talking. No, that was Mazzee speaking. Yeah, okay. yeah, that was Mazzee. Well, brother Steve, talk about it from your pers- perspective because brother, brother Mazzee said that, uh, he, Rarely seen any uh, male presence there, and I'm talking about old, uh, you know adult male presence mm-hmm. in the home. And let me read this because it goes into what uh, uh, Brother Mazie just mentioned. Now this is from the publication called The Poverty Cycle in Philadelphia. Let, let me read this for a listening audience, and and you two men is already aware of that because you're doing work in the community. It says the literacy crisis in Philadelphia's public school produces adults who struggle to read. Philadelphia ranks at the bottom among large American cities in reading proficiency. According to recent federal data, roughly 22% of Philadelphians aged 16 and older lack the most basic literacy skills. 52% of Philadelphia's adults are functionally illiterate. And 67% are low literate, reading at 6th to 8th grade level. Among 40% of adults, Philadelphians struggle to fill out a job application, to read doctor's instructions on medicine, or to help their children with homework. This is a problem because we're not teaching our children in these schools. It's other folks that are teaching our children. 
So our children are coming out and they can't read the adults. A lot of the adults in the home, they can't help them with their homework because they can't read. This is a problem. Listen, our people are, we, we got to realize what time it is. See, some of our people are looking at this situation like we are all in this together. But black folks are in this problem by themselves. Yeah. And we, we got to, we got, uh, listen, you men are out on the front lines and I take my hat off, two hats off to you because you're going into these homes to help and you see the situations. Uh-huh. You, yeah. You know, and I just want to read those stats because Brother Mazie, you just mentioned about the literacy in these homes, the children are struggling. So that frustration is there. And then they're going through yeah. trauma in their families. So soon as yeah. somebody say something crazy to them on social media or other than that, then, you know, here's the option of a gun or harming somebody. And this stuff you can't come yeah. back from. When you take somebody's life, you can't come back from that. But I, I just wanted to throw mm-hmm. that out. But go ahead, go ahead uh, brother uh, Mazzi. I kind of interrupted your, your, your train of thought. I think that was Steve. I mean, brother Steve, Steve, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. No, I just, um, Mazee pretty much laid, you know, the foundation for what, you know, what the common thread is. And the only thing, I'll have one thing to add to that is that what I've noticed with many, but enough of a common thread of the youth and that we visited or um, we've been in contact with for mediation is there there's no fear of getting in trouble there's no fear of um you know getting into an altercation and i don't want to go as far as to say but on a, a very slim uh scale there isn't even a fear of death so um that's one thing that i noticed like you know they they're 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 more comfortable with keeping something going. So it's a matter of you know keep retracting and keep keep trying to back them off to get out of a situation because the help isn't always received necessarily the first, second, or the third time. But eventually, you know, things are settled down because what I've noticed is it doesn't really take much to get them, um, you know, triggered. And like you said, maybe it's a lack of recreational activities or you know, the um, extracurriculars that used to be available, but they're giving this energy out in these ways, though. If, if I may, if it's all right, Elliot, uh, you know, another question comes to mind, and I'm, as we're, you know, now getting a somewhat uh, of a uh, profile of of the, the the community, the challenge that you, that you gentlemen are working with in a direct action kind of way, and 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 the creative thinking that you came up with in creating this app, um, like um, another um, uh, came to mind as y'all were expressing your experience um, and what you're observing is your interaction with other individuals who may have been um, supposedly in the field that you're in, in relationship to trying to provide solutions. I'm interested in um, what is the communication between other um, men and women who consider themselves also being 
interventionist or about cultural change that would affect our community with, with these challenges that young people are going through. What has been your communication with those individuals as you come online? I mean, y'all are, as uh, Brother Mazze said, that y'all like are just work walking through this, learning how to do this. And I assume some other people out there who think that they have been engaged in this here. What is that? What has been that interaction um, been like for y'all? Uh, well, I can appreciate that question. Um, well, um, you can listen. You my, can you, my, you can speak my, frank. You can speak frank on this yeah, program. Yeah, my feeling, my my feeling after having become involved the way we have to the degree we have. Um, if if your heart is not leading you, if your intention and understanding of the scope of what you're doing is essentially <laughs> you 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 fight in white supremacy. That's what you're doing when you go do this stuff, right? So if if you're not thinking of it in terms of that, you, you're going to be hard pressed to, to, to make me believe you, you get it. And that, that, that could go for someone who's, you know, 20, 30 years into it, big institution, even big black institution. I mean, it, I can't stomach people who, can find reasons to tell me why something can't be done. I just, I just can't stomach it. And that is a lot. That's not all you find, but it's a lot. And that's what reminds me that we fight in white supremacy. When I sit down with a powerful African-American button pusher high up in the city hall administration, and all they could tell me is what we can do because such and such controls that or we have we would have to get I'm just like, well let's do it. Let's do what we gotta do. Mm-hmm. And I I I I can't I can't I can't get my mind around why we can't I mean I understand it because that also is the effect of white supremacy, but that's what that's what we fight in here. Mm. And if and if you don't have that baseline understanding, I don't know how far you're gonna get. You might get a big grant, you might hit some metrics and all of that that they look for, you might you know, but are you gonna connect heart to heart with these descendants of slaves out here still living with the traumatic repercussions of that experience. If you're not doing that, you, you that's the, the root cause of, of gun violence and everything else. So my experience has been that, you know, the people who understand that are in a few very particular categories. 
uh, I talked to one the other day. He was like, look, I'm burnt out. I moved out of the country. I, I'm not raising other people's kids no more. I, I know his history. I know his track record. I, I, I get that. Mm. You have some that's just resigned to it. Like, you know, I'm going to keep doing me. I don't expect a whole lot of support, but this is who I am. And then you had somebody like me who was like, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure we can equip ourselves to hold ourselves accountable so that we can hold this white supremacist-based society accountable. And that's just how it is for me. I, you know, I don't know what some of these people think they're doing. Mm-mm-mm. Richard? Honestly, don't. <laughs> so you said you don't know what they <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, y'all. I mean, this this is a, this is a laugh of pain. Because yeah. we look at it and we see the outcome. You know, Elliot, we see... You know the the residual of what Brother Menzies is talking about, as far as we're talking about the collateral damage because people are just treating it as like it's a job. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm. I just would like to jump in there to add to that, based off of what my per- perception is in this short period of time in regards to a lot of the major organizations um, citywide and some of them even national have been doing. And I just see it as a way of, I don't know, this like um, they're comfortable with doing things the way that they've been doing them because it takes some time to actually build up a model or a program to actually function. And then in terms of funding, that's a whole totally different subject. So I feel as though at this point, from what I see as far as collaboration, organizations and agencies have built up their brand and built up their way of doing things, and it's hard to include. They they haven't been built in a way where it's inclusive of other organizations or collaborations and working together, whether it be based off of funding or being in the good graces and likes of certain people or, you know, powers that be. So nobody really wants to tamper with the secret sauce that got them to where they can be in terms of, um, you know, just doing enough to say that we are doing something. So it's not happening fast enough, and it's not happening enough. That's why when I go back to the act, in my mind, we needed something that the the boots on the ground standing on the corner and block by block, that's always going to be necessary. But even greater than that, we need to bring this up to the times that we are in. So that way we need some type of platform or a way to really saturate block by block the places that by boot we can't get to that we, you know, it's faster the, the, the ball travels through the air faster than dribbling down the court, right? So that's what we kind of like, what, what we what we aim to do is to put the ball up in the air so we can get from baseline to baseline much fat in a short period of time as possible because we losing lives and we're hemorrhaging out here. Like last year was over 500 
look where we are right now. You know, it's still isn't, you know, if numbers aren't decreasing, one is too many. So we, we actually want to get to zero. So the only, only way to get to zero is we have to have something that moves really fast. And through that app, that's the way that we envision this bringing, bringing it up to the, the times that we are living in. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. You men are all right? You, you can stay longer? Yeah, we're good. Good, good. We're yeah. going to take a brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation, uh, get into exactly how the app works. If somebody's uh, in distress or whatever, what do they do in regards to the app? Some of the training required so people can get involved, and you can get involved in the conversation with a question or comment by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're talking to activists, organizers, and creators of the Philly Truce app, Brother Mazee Kasher and Brother Steve Pickens. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. becomes unruly called Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today. 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly called Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumi.tv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family, to join your interconnected commit to you black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumi.tv.com, abibitumi.store. 
We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. Concerning your and my rights, that's the government. Don't say it, Southern Senators. This is the government. This is a government filibuster. It's not a segregationist filibuster. It's a government filibuster. Any kind of activity that takes place on the floor of the Congress or the Senate, that's the government. Well, this government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. And once we see that all these other sources to which we've turned have failed, we stop turning to them and turn to ourselves. We need a self-help program, a do-it-yourself do philosophy, a do-it-right-now philosophy. Uh, it's already too late philosophy. This is what you and I need to get with. And the only time, the only way we're going to solve our problem is with a self-help program. Before we can get a self-help program started, we have to have a self-help philosophy. Black nationalism is a self-help philosophy. What's so good about it, you can stay right in the church where you are and still take black nationalism as your philosophy. And I think we are in a new era, a new phase of the struggle, where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we're getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid thinking they're devoid of racism. Do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. 
and uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8-11 on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, activists, organizers, and creators of the Philly Truce app, Brother Mazee Kasher and Brother Steve Pickens. Any questions, comments that you have, you can dial 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Brother Mazee, Brother Steve, um, Talk about the the use of the app. Um, just say, for example, if I'm in trouble, or if my child is involved in, in uh, some foolishness in the street, and I want to stop mm-hmm. him from making a mistake that's going to change his life, uh, mm-hmm. what do I do? Just, just walk me through it, and and then uh, you know, just walk me through how I would use the app, and then I want to talk about what happens when you and, and brother Steve and, and and some of the other brothers and sisters that's working with you get there. Yes, sir. Uh, it's a very simple uh, process. Uh, the app is available in the, in the usual places, the App Store and the Google Play Store. You install it, um, and the, all you need to do is hit Get Help. You, you, you hit Get Help, it asks you some basic info, who you are, maybe what's your phone number, and, and what's going on. Um, it tells you right there your info will be kept private, and the, the, to be honest, you don't even got it. None of that has to be real because we're going to first contact you through the app. So once you you say, listen, uh, this is Elliot. Um, my nephew is X, Y, Z. Send it. You submit it. We get it. We take it. And then we typically, it's a very simple process. We, we respond first through an in-app text and just want to make sure, are you safe? Can we talk? Can we call you? And then very quickly it moves kind of off the app into a conversation where we try to assess what's going on and can we realistically uh, help out? Because the one thing people um, have to uh, remember is that this is not emergency response. This is preventive, preemptive action based on what information you're willing to share with us to help us kind of see who the disputants are and see what could be done. So that's, that's kind of step one. Okay. You, you, you want to keep talking. We got an intake form we could do in the app as we talk. Um, and then that form, you know, it comes to me and Steve and we look at it and we say, um, is, is there somebody we can ask, you know, to go, you know, call this person back, go set up an in-person interview always wanted to do that at least, you know, two people. Um, sometimes, a lot of times, it has to be us um, just because, you know, we're we working on a volunteer basis right now. And, you know, sometimes you don't get the feedback or, or the you know, the, the help you need in a timely manner. And then it kind of goes from there. You, you go out to the home or you go to some neutral place. Um, usually we just go to the home. Uh, we, we, you know, let them see us and, and, and feel us, that we real. Um, and, 
we go through, uh, you kind of rehash the, the, the intake a little bit and make sure we can have, um, you know, disputant contact, uh, who, who's on the other side of it, what, how much info you know about them, where can we find them, where can we call them, where can we, et cetera, et cetera. And then from there, we really kind of get into a process of going back and forth, comparing versions, trying to get uh, folks to to compromise in advance and ultimately, you know, bring those two parties together, um, first and foremost, ready to share those concessions that they're ready to make to, to try to see it not go further. And um, that's essentially the, the process right there. And uh, it goes all different kinds of ways. You know, we've had we've had parents use it for their kids. I mean, children, 15, 14. We've had principals use it for young kids. We've had parents contact us for, you know, young adults, 21, 23, We've had middle-aged women use it for themselves and their neighbor they can't get along with. It's just all all over the board. And, um, you know, I guess the common common thread in all of it is um, many of those limitations we touched on earlier. Um, Just about everybody (laughs) in this city, and particularly our people, are – carrying, living with some form of trauma um, on top of the the kind of uh, post-slavery traumatic syndrome that we all walking around with. And so we just kind of try to deal with that and and get some trust and offer some comfort and some some de-escalation suggestions and see how far we can get in terms of bringing the two people together or at least getting them to agree to chill even if they won't, you know, one won't come face-to-face with the other one. And that's essentially what what the work is. Brother Steve, yeah. the, um, because you, I think it was either you or Brother Mazee talked about the, the training of uh, volunteers and then you would train them, and then they're ready to kind of go into the field, so to speak. Um, right. You don't have to go into to strong details, but just talk about some of the training that you require for, you know, some of the people that want to be involved. A lot of people might want to be involved, but they might know might not know too much about mediation or to talk right. about these things or have the proper spirit. I mean, how, how do you – what's what's involved in as far as the training? Before the question of the training comes, I mean, is answered, I just wanted to add to that um, earlier I heard you mention that about um, a dis- someone being in distress. So we actually, this is not a, 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 a call, a request for um, a distress caller or um, some person that contacts us via the app. Um, we actually are, you know, we, we pride ourselves on saying we're not affiliated with the police only because before a person even gets to that point for 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 police involvement to be necessary, we want you to call before it, it or, or get in contact with us before it, it, it in this very small stages. And then on top of that, with people who would like to volunteer, 
so that they're understanding that they're not going to deal with a person that has gone over the edge yet that isn't willing to listen. So that's very important as far as people who would like to participate and support in that way and become a mediator on yet. Okay. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I, 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 I would, I would not say they are distressed. I would not say they aren't distressed. I, I mean, if you're reaching out, you, it, something stressful is going on. I just want to clarify that a little bit and saying um, we're not equipped to handle emergency situations. Yeah, what we correct. try to cultivate as we talk about uh, shifting the culture is a preemptive, preventative state of mind. Uh, in our community, that it doesn't matter if we trust the police or not. We got to have people amongst us that we can trust um, to, to reach out to and help us navigate. So I, I just want to clarify a little bit on the word distress. I mean, people are, they, they, they typically are under stress. I mean, if you wasn't, you wouldn't reach out. We But we are not equipped to take quote unquote distress calls. Like we can't come out there if there's a gun out or, okay. you know, I yeah. mean, you know what I'm saying? Like pe- pe- people have called and said, Hey, my, my son, I found a gun in here. We've been able to counsel him on that, but this is to prevent the guns from coming out. And, and the, the thing that we have to really admit to ourselves as a people is that we often know, we don't know the day or the hour, but we often know who's looking for who, who's mad at who, who's talking about doing what to who. And all we're saying is we don't have to deal with the police, but we certainly can't wait and let this happen and then the police come pick one of us up. So that's really the premise behind it. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and as far as what what is the training, um, We've been through two different iterations of training. Our first cohort in, in March of 21 was led by some real heavyweights in the field, uh, Pastor Clay, uh, Brother Leroy Muhammad, um, Brother Keith Quick, and uh, Brother Gerardo Muhammad. Um, people, some people want to know who they are. I'm not going to you know, call attention to their qualifications, but we probably talked about 125 years of mediation experience from the street level uh, all the way up to federally certified mediators. And and they came to us uh, via the Black Male Community Council, which we are eternally grateful to them um, for providing us our first training um, free of charge. And we ended up with about 30 graduates from that class. Good. Um, over time, you know, it got down to about a handful, six or seven of us doing the bulk of the, you know, the going out and meeting with people and, and trying to bring closure and resolution. Um, later, we had a, a very brilliant woman, Sarita Lewis, who was who one of our supporters and volunteers, uh, developed a, a Philly Truth-specific mediation curriculum, um, in which we're actually about to offer um, on March 18th and March 25th, a, a two-Saturday uh, course. And essentially what is it going to be about is um, on the first on the first Saturday, it's about 
uh, kind of coming to terms with who you are and what you might bring to a situation, whatever your own biases, your own traumas, your own triggers might be, become aware of them so that you can come um, as neutral as possible to the table. And then the next part will be about, you know, how do you move a person uh, through a conversation? How do you actively listen, you know, reflect back what you heard to make sure you heard what you heard or, or you heard what they meant to say? And basically how to navigate that space between the two people because for most of the time you're dealing with one, you're going back to the other, you're dealing with one, you're going back to the other. And to be quite frank with you, the a lot of times, if it's not too far gone, it will fizzle out in that process because one person is going to get tired of you calling or one person is going to say, look, man, they ain't got to worry about me. Like, you'll be surprised how it, how it resolves. Sometimes somebody might get locked up. Somebody, You know, the real work of the mediation is really priming the two people to be able to look each other in the face at a table. And sometimes that's enough to make somebody not want to go further because everybody not ready to own their part and sit down and say, well, I forgive or I can let, you know what I'm saying? And and so you get there in a lot of different ways. If you patient and you have just the, the purity of intention that I'm going to help these two people find peace for their situation. And, you know, the truth of that is a lot of that usually lies within one or the other to be able to see it from a different perspective, to understand maybe that was the wrong time to be messing with that person. There's so much stuff that comes out in the process. And the training just helps you to move through that with the people um, with as much detachment as possible um, and, and learning how to keep the focus on the solution that they can live with. What can they, what can they say that they can keep their word on that will help keep it um, from uh, um, inflaming again? Uh, before I pass it to you, uh, Richard, uh, Brother Mazee, Brother Steve, um, I don't. I don't know whether you have seen the fruits of your labor, so to speak. And when I say the fruits of your labor, I'm not talking about what you're doing as far as mediating these differences. But I'm talking about somebody that you have helped come forward later on and say, "Brother Steve, Brother Mazee, you know, you helped me, and I, I'd like to give back. I want to join what you're doing. I want to be a mediator." Did, have you seen that type of interaction yet? Um. I don't know that I have. Have you, Steve? Can you think of a situation like that? Um, someone that actually came through and then as a result of them being helped has joined us. Yes. Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> it's been a long three years, brother. <laughs> um, I can't <laughs> I can't I can't think immediately off of the top of my head, but uh, let me see. Yeah, I I can't I can't think of anything that comes to mind um, at the moment. To be honest, right, listen. I, I, 
I, I can say this. We we had one that was very intense um, where, where two disputes was they was both on State Road. Um, you know, we had to get mom, uncle, other mom. You know, like, I, I, I can say this. Um, people have made themselves available to uh, move the situations forward that they're, you know, vested in or invested in, which is very important because it starts there. Um, and I have had verbal commitments, like if you need anything, um, you know, let me know if there's anything I could do for you. Yeah, I've gotten that. But as far as somebody saying, like, man, let me uh, – let me do this peace patrol with you or let me do this fundraising for you or let me, no, I don't think that has happened yet. We've had a lot of um, people willing to vouch for us and things of that nature, um, you know, be interviewed and, and give testimonials. But as far as them kind of folding themselves directly back into the work, I, I can't, and I don't want to, uh, overlook anybody if that has happened but I, I can't think of a case yet where that has happened uh, Richard yeah <clears throat> you know uh, the questions you asked Elliot you know intrigues me in the sense of um, have well one the, the point that you're saying this is a, a kind of y'all are kind of negotiators or conflict resolutions on the spot the apps the app helps as a first line of, of defense for the person who sees they need that. Um, yeah. how I would, would um, but I, and I'm, I'm gonna have to back up because I'm curious in knowing how did the ideal of the app that this could be a tool, how did that come up between y'all in the sense of, because it's not just the app, but you have to, you know, the program to write the app that it provides that kind of function. How did that conversation um, come into being? Well, I mean, I would like to just start it off and then Mazik can pick up from where I leave off, actually, because it's, it's, um, it's a couple parts of the story. But so originally we knew that everyone has someone that they'll listen to. So that was our original intention was to find the credible messengers in each particular neighborhood because, again, our mindset was we had to blanket the entire city at the same time to um, slow up this progress of the gun violence epidemic that we're experiencing. So um, that was originally we wanted we were going to have like a a truce line for people to call and get you know call for help. But then that line would be the the call for for help similar to to the app would go out to those credible messengers in those communities. And you know I'll let Mazie pick it up from there though on the app. Yeah. I mean, again, uh, brother Richard, brother Ellie, I mean, this is such a divine assignment. We can't really, we, we can't claim a whole lot. Look, we talked, we talked ourselves into it. That's how it happened. We, we just kept talking and talking and talking. (laughs) So we said, so app came out of our mouth and we said, all right, let's look. And I, I had some friends who was in the tech world, 
I called her. She said, oh, I don't really do that, but call this guy. I called that guy. He said, man, go on this website. You can hire people offshore. That'll make it affordable. We did that, and in a couple months, we had the app. I mean, it's it's really, that's just how it happened. We just, that's, that's so powerful and important in having the inspiration and then yeah. the process. I mean, having somebody to go to, you know, to, um, yeah. like, like the app is doing. Um, for people and who needs it because now there is something there and it's somebody to go to. Um, yeah. One thing that you said, Steve, with that you said, and I and I take it that this is still kind of like the core, um, you know, objective is finding um, the credible messenger in those communities. You know, would is that would that be say that they would be um, apropos as far as people who should attend this kind of workshop and be that kind of person who could go through that and be that mediator mediator in the area, that, that person who's credible in the community. It seems like it's always somebody like that. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, you know, definitely. They, they, they should definitely, uh, can sit. The, the, the funny thing is this, man, you know, a lot of times they don't, they don't need the training. They just, need to know that we need to connect with them. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because a lot of times you'll be in some group or some church and they'll be talking and there'll always be one brother in the back. He'd be like, well, you know, like they don't even conceive of it the way we conceive of it. And I I can remember clearly, I'm in this one meeting at a masjid, a community thing, and they talking about this and that. And he like, so you mean like if, Say if my young boy is, is is going through something, and then I know they old head, and I go talk to them, and then they, and we like, yeah, that's exactly what we talking about. And he like, well, I do that all the time. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. the this the disconnect, I I guess is 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 what it always is for us, and it's kind of organizational, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like. I would need to know, well, where that guy lives and what is his his realm of influence. Right. So then when I get a call and I see, okay, well, that's that 54th and why loose it, let me call brother such and such. There you go. Mm-hmm. And see, well, who you know these guys, you know this name, and then that's all we need to do, really. That's yes. all our people need to do is network, organize. Hmm. Yeah. Ellie, I, I have to say that I have to say this, and and y'all have to y'all are gonna have to pull me back because what <laughs> we were speaking about earlier about um, these um, I'm calling I'm gonna call them NGOs, um, mob, <laughs> uh, because they um, are not doing that. Uh-huh. Over the uh-huh. years, if they were doing that, those natural leaders within those communities would be cultivated one, continually uh-huh. cultivated, right? because of their relationship. And then the funding, the funding uh-huh. should be going to them. Them, exactly. You know, uh-huh. when we're talking about the funding, where the funding coming from, whether it be funding from grant grantors or funding from city. And what I hear a lot of times is the funding don't go to them, even yeah. the ones like yourselves, you know, and yeah. I guess you have stories that you could share with us about how you have presented this model you know how you're doing it out of the, out of the passion and the and the kind of commitment that you're mm-hmm. making individually, and you're trying to present it in a realm 
that's system systematized, and they're saying giving you these roadblocks. Yeah, we <laughs> I mean, have those are the leaders for we this, have... right? I'm Man. sorry, say that again. No, y'all are the natural leaders in this case, right? Um, I mean, you know, to a certain extent, right? I mean, we have certain skills that are complementary to the guy who, who could really touch the guy, you know what I'm saying? Um, but but that's, that's kind of all of that is part of the culture that we work into counter is like, we you like like I'll never forget one time we was really first out there letting people know, right? And we was going in the barbershop, yo, know, what is the you know, this is Philly True Sab, something, 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 no police involvement. I'll never forget this one brother, this this one barber, he turned his clippers off and said, Oh, we gonna police ourselves? And I'm like, Yeah, that's that's the point. He was like, Well, good luck with that. Went back to cutting his hair. Wow. Said, so that's all of that is what we are working. Like we got, man, we have to, we have to find more than anything. We have to find a way to convey the power that we contain within us. And it's, it's, it's so crazy at this moment right now that, you know, I'm 40, what, seven. As I look around and look back, the thing that seems to have been the most detrimental to this type of unity within us is like the civil rights movement. I mean, I, and I don't mean that in no <laughs> sideways way, but it's just like when we knew all we had was each other, we had a greater value for each other. And now we value each other. And it's a hard pill to swallow when you realize that that's what's driving a lot of this. Hmm. Wow. We just don't value each other. Hmm. Well, even, even more on top of that, that breeds a sense of somebody else is going to come and clean this up or we're waiting for somebody to come in and do this for us. So we're not really actually using our own power, our own abilities, our own minds to do this ourselves because we are capable. And you know, the, the effect, you know, if, if y'all don't mind me saying the effect that it has, and you, you spoke, y'all spoke to it earlier, the effect that it has on our young people is because we don't, we don't perceive that barber's response, you know, and, and that's the individual, but then it's the institutional. Young people, a particular group of young people say, I, you know, I ain't got nothing to lose. Yeah. Who, who, if I ain't got nobody to trust, I'm, thir- I'm 12, 13, 14, I'm going through this internal misunderstanding, even in my family. I'm going, I go to school, I go through this misunderstanding. I might be even trying and I can't get it. And they ain't getting it. I can't get it without me making myself look small, you know. Um, yeah. I, I don't. I don't feel like, like, excuse my expression. It's just forget it, yeah. you know. Yeah. My, yeah. My, whatever happened, it, it's not just youthful, you know, experience of of dealing with being adventurous. Uh-huh. It's, right. It's right. giving up. 
at right. that point where right. light doesn't even matter. And to the degree, exactly. I'm, you know, is to degree I'm willing that whether I go or and somebody go with me. Yep. Yep. And I, and you hear him say it. I mean, we had a 13 year old little brother. Everybody gets shot. I mean, if I die, I die. I mean, 13. That, that's what I, he, I, that's what he told you. That's what he said, man. Everybody gets shot. I'm not like, no, we don't. He said, well, look, if I die, I die. I mean, you know, and he, he didn't, he only kind of halfway believed that, but he believed it enough to say it, Right. you know? And I mean, I heard all kinds, look, man, I, <laughs> I sat in jail with guys and heard them say, look, man, I, I'm, if they willing to squash it, I willing to squash it. Or we could keep going till we all in here or all dead. What, how, how do you get them to make a choice one way or the other? Let, let me, because uh, I got a couple more questions, and, and then I want to get to the uh, the uh, piece that you and and uh, that Z and and both you and Steve put together and presented it to uh, the potential uh, mayoral candidates and and uh, black representatives and other representatives. Period. But before we do that, let's go to seven one eight New York City seven one eight. Good evening, Brother Richard, Brother um, Elliot, and I hope I'm pronouncing it, Mazie and Brother Steve. This is a great conversation. And as I'm listening to you all, it, um, I thought back to um, a relative of mine that um, came up, you know, we, we all came about the mud in Bedford Stuyvesant section of Brooklyn. Um, we're 70s babies, so we lived through the 80s, which is really bad on us. Again, mm-hmm. um, to your point, Brother Elliot, a lot of the... Um, resources that was available to kids to help keep us on track to, you know, we know what Reaganomics did. It removed a lot of that. We, you know, there was a lot going on. So you all spoke to the trauma that, um, you know, disproportionately impacts our communities. Um, you spoke to the, the, I, what another issue, which is the absentee dads. We spoke of, you know, a lot of ways in which we need the young folks to have a way to uh, release the energy in a more positive way. And I thought back to a relative of mine, again, who came up um, in this situation, who actually, you know, grew up to be a very fine young man, despite, you know, the past, and was working in Sparford, which is a, I'm I'm not sure if you are familiar with, is a juvenile facility, and those are for young folk that aren't even 16 that's going away to do hard time. And I remember asking this person, hey, are you talking to and attempting to get through to some of these young brothers so that when they are released, that hopefully they can transition back and take a different path? And this person says to me, yes, but some of them are so far gone. And then I start talking to another friend of mine and I'm telling the story like, this is a dude from the hood. He's, you know, he's usually very well respected. He's not some cornball and he's having difficulty getting through to some of these young guys. Mm-hmm. And one the the person said to me was, well, the reason why is because when they look at your relative, they're seeing a father that walked out on them and that's causing the issue. So this, mm. he's reminding them of the father that they don't have or that betrayed mm. them. So as you all are speaking and we're speaking mm. on solutions and helping to resolve some of the issues, I'm thinking and some people may be doing this and you all may be doing this with all the great work you're doing. I think that we should have targeted resources to deal with young folks 
that are dealing with the betrayal of a parent, especially when that trauma prevents them from getting assistance from others that are willing to step in and be mm-hmm. something that can help them. So um, are you aware of anything like that? Is that Does that make sense? Because we need, you know, assistance for trauma for our countless number of things, but how do you deal with folks that are dealing with trauma from a betrayal of a parent and mm. don't have... I'll, I'll land with that there. Yeah, yeah, that's heavy. I mean, I mean, there's the general betrayal of just not being there, and I know... When you're young, you don't even understand that that's part of why you're angry. So that, I mean, that's one level. And then, you know, there's other forms of betrayal that, you know, the, when the unspeakable types of things happen, the, the, the violations and all of that. Um, all the, the only, and I'm sure there's, there's things out there. Um, I know one thing I heard about recently was, um, there's two brothers, I forget the name of their organization, but they kind of just go around and, and, and read to kids um, and, and make sure that, um, that, that, that they are literate and that they have a kind of thirst and a love for learning. And I think just having black men that regularly interact with them can build a certain degree of trust where, okay, do you have a relationship. And, I mean, that is the biggest part with, with most of these things is the time it takes to build the trust, right? So it's like we we try to build the trust on the community level, but then each instance, right, you have to, especially when you're dealing with, with, with young young boys or young men, you have to kind of cultivate that trust um, over time. And it, and it really all depends on, where are they coming from? You know, sometimes if they're sitting in jail, they're a little bit more receptive. Sometimes, you know, if they're sitting at home, they just got shot, and all they could think about is revenge. It might take you two or three visits before you get some information. So, I mean, I think that's a, you know, I mean, people even as stepfathers experience that phenomenon, just feeling the brunt of that, that absentee father who, um, you know, you you symbolize, and yeah, you do get a large brunt of that that blowback. So that's a that's a great point. <clears throat> Sister, do you have another question or comment? The only other comment, and I and I thank you for giving me the opportunity, is for those that you are working with. And I'm sorry if I missed um, the earlier part of your conversation. Is there when you when you jump in? I know that you're not crisis. You don't you know that's not what you do. But when you're assisting these young folks and you're providing them with assistance, is does it end there, or do you provide them, or do you offer them um, a, a path, or help them to identify ways to keep them? Okay, we help resolve this issue. This beef has been squashed. Are you comfortable now? Do you go back? Do you check in on? in on them periodically? Do you point them in direction or other individual organizations that can help keep them on a path? You know, um, is there some sort of therapy that um, these youth are appointed to? Like, in addition mm-hmm. to going out, you, you receive uh, someone reaches out to you on an app. After you um, assisted with that immediate situation, what happens afterwards? Yeah, by by the grace of God, lately all of the young people have actually come 
as a result of a relationship we developed with an agency called uh, Intercultural Family Services. So most of the time, they're, they are either already involved with that, and we kind of come in to be like a more non-professional touch on a specific inf- situation, or we've gotten called in um, because we went to the school with this agency and did an assembly. So fortunately now we have a lot of that for young people. And right now when we dealing with young people, they're mostly sixth, seventh, eighth grade, stuff like that. Um, so we have referral relationships like that. Um, that wasn't always the case. I mean, you know, some other guys are in jail. You know, I kind I have reached out to social workers and said like, you know, can you offer him therapy? Can you make sure he's in the GED class? So we do that to the best, you know, the best of our ability, but we have been cultivating um, right now what we're looking at is more like workforce um, development relationships because we're about to start targeting some real high-risk high um, individuals. And we also are, like, we've recruited people who do CBT, uh, different different curriculums, like one is called Thinking for a Change, one is called Wellness Recovery Action Plan, and um, and and the doctor, Doctor London, who is our, uh, you know, the black male, very sharp black male psychologist, who is our point person at Intercultural, also consults with us, so so guys can get psyche valves, they can get you know kind of workups or, or mental health workups. So it's not a, a, a perfect system yet like that we have authored, but we have some very solid partnerships that, that people can access. <clears throat> yeah, and, and also to add to that, we're always willing, once someone makes contact with us, that they're handed or passed off in a responsible way. So we're we're willing to go as far as someone will allow us to take them in terms of if they're real, if they really want to become whole as a person and, you know, they want, they really, you know, desire this help. And that's the reason why, as it came up earlier, the collaborations are so important because no one can do this alone. The problem is too big. We don't think that we're the only solution. No, we need everyone, the agencies and other organizations working together. Sister, thanks for your contribution. Thank you, and thank you for all that you all are doing down in Philly. Thank you, Brooklyn. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Steve, uh, uh, Brother Mazzee, um the letter yeah. that you kind of put forward or the proposal, uh, I'd like to yeah. say the demand that you put forth to, and especially, listen, I, I'm de- when I talk, I'm talking about the people that are supposed to represent our community because you have elected officials that are out there and they, you know, they, if they have another persuasion, if they have another race, you know, they say they represent you, but they really not. If you look at our situation since we've been here, they really don't, they put band-aids on stuff dealing with black people, but they really don't want to address it. But when we have our people that go into these seats, our people pull those levers for them because they really believe that they want to help them. So when you, and brother, um, when you, brother Steve and brother Mazie put this letter together and you got specific proposals down here, Richard, I, I think that you probably read it also when, when you're talking about the public schools, 
uh, things that should be offered. You're talking about parenting classes. Uh, and, uh, one of them down here, all neighborhoods, especially those in lower median income communities, should have uh, open libraries, recreation centers, and cultural centers. Uh, mm-hmm. You talk about rites of passage programs. What was the response, if any, did you get from uh, black elected officials here in Philadelphia? Okay, so in terms of the letter, who, who, which candidate camp or campaigns have responded um, and expressed interest to talk about it? Uh, Helen Gim, James DeLeon, Derek Green, and Rebecca Reinhardt's team ex- acknowledged that they got it. Um, I, I can't remember what else we discussed. So that that's who's acknowledged it. You know, I know uh, someone told me for a fact the other day they put it in Rebecca Reinhardt's hands, and uh, through some associations, she is one of the ones I tried to get to uh, first directly. So that's who's responded. Um, you know, to be to be frank about how I want to go forward, you know, I want to have a, a public discussion with select individuals, uh, activists, organizers, <laughs> uh, people that I see out here that I feel truly represent and, and understand what is needed um, and really have those conversations with these candidates in a way that can either be live broadcast and or filmed and broadcast later. Um, and that's, that's what we're working towards. So right now we, the goal now is to just keep pressing it, keep putting it forth in the media. We have a petition circulating at a, a website called checkthemayor.com where we would really like people just to add their name, add their voice to the demand, to the request. And as we get closer to seeing who the candidates are who actually make the ballot, um, we're looking to drive engagement around this. And we we will be sitting down with these people. We're not going to... Um, we're not going to go unheard or, you know, we, we, we are just trying to build momentum, not trying, we're building momentum uh, throughout the month of March so that, you know, towards the end of March when the ballots are set, we really have clear targets on who must, who must have these conversations with us. So they, they, I think by now they all know it's out there. I mean, I know I emailed just about every campaign, and I, you know, I've texted people on the camp. So I think just about everybody knows. Now we had to double, triple, quadruple down and make it something that's unavoidable. <clears throat> Richard, um, <laughs> uh, you heard uh, Brother Mazzi talk about uh, building coalitions in these neighborhoods with with men and women that are doing the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then and then step to some of these people that supposed to be that that claim that they're going to represent the people, which is I listen. I, I fully agree with that strategy. Excellent strategy. Uh, what I want to do is, um, uh, you know, 
I have a business and and you can know, uh, I mean, if you got flyers or things like that, you can bring them up, uh, to, to get them to me, or you can email it to me. I'll run some copies off or, uh, 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 brother Steve, I think you said that you were in the Mount Airy area. I don't know whether you still are, but, uh, my place of business is up there in, in West Oak Lane. So you can always stop by there and drop, drop a bunch off and, uh, and it just so happens to be a shop, like your your, your buddy's place. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so that okay. that that'll be cool. And and Richard, I know, has a lot of relationships with. Uh, I don't. Do you know the brother Tommy over there, at Peace Park? I know. I know brother Tommy. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, Richard got a lot of relationships with folks, and I know that he could probably, uh, you know, get some things out, get get the word out, uh, you know, and and uh, uh, let folks know uh, some of the moves that you're planning. They probably already know about the app, but at least they can uh, kind of get involved in what you just proposed. Because I think that yeah. what you just proposed is something that's needed. Because you got a you got a lot of groups out here, and I well I don't want to put a number on it, but you have men and women out here that are sincere, but they mm-hmm. may or may not be working together, and that's that's the key. Mm-hmm. That's the key that mm-hmm. we got to work together. We can't mm-hmm. defeat this monster. Unless we're working together, mm-hmm. what I like about it is that, um, and I'm and, and I and as you were laying out the process, I I was re you know reformulating the language in my own head that you have an agenda, and what I like mm-hmm. about the agenda is that it's um, youth centered, um, for youth um, developmental centered more than um, dealing with um, what. And what Elliot? What is those mayors? They said that they had to deal with public safety, you know. Mm. You know, and public safety is a code word for you know we need to be able to get the police to prevent. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah. right? Okay, okay. We're talking about the same cohort of of people, right? But right. They, they phrase it, and the outcome they're looking for is different. And but right. the agenda that you laid out is for those youth development, as far as not just the, dealing with the conflict resolution, but trauma and these, right. how the sitting agencies could be utilized, the schools, the recreation could be utilized to deal with that from that vantage point. Um, and right. with the app can be helpful. And then the other element of gathering, you know, the coalition of people and taking this agenda so that they, so that they know there's a political constituency that they should be wanting. Exactly. To get, exactly. Right? That they exactly. should and you want to demonstrate that you have that coalition of that polit- of votes or voters right. that they want right. to get before you even mm-hmm. really step to them, so they know that this is no joke. Right, relationship exactly. to the outcome for the election because they're they're in that they're in that um that horse race of trying to mm-hmm. win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and before so that and I agree with you, Elliot. That process, I wish more because more I hear. I hear the black business community, they got their agenda, but still you would think that everybody would want to be dealing with just based off of the, the numbers you said, Ellie, as far as the literacy rate and the experience that y'all are saying, as far as what kind of trauma is going on amongst these young people. And you would think everybody would be from their vantage point would be focusing on that as mm. a political agenda, but it's, but they're not, which makes no mm. sense. So I'm, mm. I'm thankful here. Um, you know, what your, your approach and the process. And I think that that's the power process. When you talk about mm. the white supremacy, if we're not going through this thing from a power perspective, 
having a, co- a coalition, having a, a, a serious agenda that is, you know, relevant to the development of, of, of us, um, having an agenda that shows a security, us securing us, then we're really um, just trying to get a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not playing with y'all. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's nah, the, hey, hey. We, we, brother, we feel you. We feel you. We feel you. It's, it's, uh, so that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's what we're looking at. Um, you know, we, we put together another initiative called the Safe City Summit. It's uh, planned for May. And this is, uh, this is our goal is to really touch some of the high risk guys in the street, uh, be able to incentivize them into, uh, considering stepping out of the streets making sure that they have some pre-vocational cognitive stuff um, that they can go into a workforce thing that's going to land them somewhere with a livable wage, family-sustaining wage, but also to, um, you know, kind of stoke their entrepreneurial spirits a little bit, let them know in, in, a, in a basic way what's required to, to run a business and how to think about that and, you know, it's, it's, it's lots of work to do. Um, and we just trying to make sure that, you know, that, that, that people really are serious about, um, you know, I mean, like, like, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a quote. I don't really know it exactly, but you can't even, um, what am I trying to say? Even the people you protest against to truly, bring them around. You got to have a certain amount of love for them. And none of this stuff that we espousing is, um, is anything other than trying to bring the system to account. You know, nobody got feel uh, guilty about being what color their skin is or whatever privilege they might've landed with. You just got to be realistic about what we're dealing with. This is a 65% black and brown city. We got 44% African-American, 14 Latino, 7 Asian, something like that. You can't run this on a white supremacy platform um, and tell me you're doing social justice all in the same time. We got to be realistic first and honest about what's what what we have here, what we have to work with. And then we could talk about some stuff getting better. But <laughs> it starts with an admission of the truth. You know? <laughs> wow. It's, it's, Ellie, it sounds like uh, with that quote that Malcolm said, you, you, you have the knife stuck in me and you pull it out a, a, a bit and you, you, you think you done done me a favor. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, yeah. before we... Before we leave tonight, brothers, give out any uh, information that you want to, how people can download the app, how to get, get in contact. And also, before that, uh, the summit that you planned to come up to in May, the door is always open. Uh, one or both of you men can come back on and talk about uh, the things that's going on in the community. If you've got announcements yeah, yeah. you want to make, you can always utilize this platform. But and thank I, must, we and I must say, don't lose sight of identifying um, those true ambassadors in the in the community. That is yeah. the weakness of this here 
of our cultural organizational infrastructure. We are not really tapping into those leaders, those people who genuinely can communicate. They know the language, mm-hmm. they know the history, they know they know what that person is up to. Mm-hmm. We need to be interconnected, you know, because they become the front line of, of that whole network to really mm-hmm. be about self-governance. Other than that, people are, you know, it's just so, don't lose sight of that. I heard they come up, and I think that that's important and powerful, getting that app in their hands or getting them connected to that app. It's, it's mm-hmm. like powerful and important if it can be. Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, I mean, we were just wanted before we sign off, you know, just thank you for the platform, for the time. Thank you for, you know, how, how serious you take uh, your work. You know, I did get to check out a couple episodes once you, you know, showed me where the link was. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and for as far as Philly Truce, you know, you can get the app in any, you know, the App Store, Play Store, that's Apple or Android. You can get a lot of information from us or on us at our Instagram page. There's a link there to tell you everything about how to donate, um, how to sign up for the next training, the uh, Conflict Resolution Corps coming up in uh, on March 18th. And you can go uh, also go there to, to, to read the open letter and, and sign the petition to let the mayoral candidates know there are tens of thousands of us out here who are demanding that they sit down, humble themselves and be ready and willing to take direction from this black and brown majority about the things we need um, to never arrive at a gun violence or opioid crisis ever again, you know, and um, that's, that's what it's about, you know, phillytruce.com, phillytruce on Instagram, checkthemayor.com and you can also uh, get the app in the App Store and the Google Play. Uh, anything you want to add, Stephen? Yeah, I also would like to add um, we have a community-led survey for what you feel as though your role is in addressing the gun violence and solutions to gun violence, so we encourage you to go to Philly's opinion.com that's p-h-i-l-l-y opinion o-p-i-n-i-o-n.com and take the survey so that way we can gather information in order to help our community work together to come to to bring this violence epidemic to an end based off of what you feel as though the 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 solutions are and your level of participation is within your community <laughs> Brothers, I'll be in touch with you. Thanks for your work. Thank you so we much. We appreciate it. Yeah. Talk to you now. Talk to you soon. All right. All right. Okay. We'll be right back. Time for an awakening. Time for an awakening. With host 
Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu black communities, escape the digital plantation now, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. I am an African. The death of my brother is also my death. Let me put this question to you again, because many foolish black middle classes and many foolish people who are eating well think that they can sit in America and watch this country destroy the African continents and watch this country destroy African Caribbeans and watch this country destroy Africans in Central and South America and think that these same people who destroy Africans abroad will not be the same people who will destroy them in America. There are fools in this this country who try to claim that they are not Africans, who claim that they do not see color. 
as if their not seeing color makes any difference in the world. Simply because you don't see color doesn't mean somebody does not see you as color. And that's the issue. And you think then that you can sit in this country while this same nation and these same people that you sleep with and marry and love and so forth can go out and destroy African people and not think those people do not see you as African. Even though you choose not to see yourself as African, you better think again. You're out of your mind and you're headed for death. You must understand that. Hide behind it. I'm an American. Ladies and gentlemen, the death and destruction of black people will follow those kind of abstractions. Probably the next five or ten years will indicate whether or not the black man can survive. Our struggle for survival is a very real struggle. And the white man has prepared genocide for black people. Unemployment, the black man is no longer necessary. Unemployment is going to be a, a way of life for black people. We are going to face increasing dangers and problems as the days pass. And we're totally unequipped as black people to deal with them. We're a part of a slave culture. We have no preparation. We have no black institutions capable of dealing with white racist institutions designed to serve only white people. We must deal with the problem that confronts black people by building black institutions, by understanding that only a separatist position is a viable position for black people. Any organization or any leader in America who today advocates integration is a foe and an enemy of black people and their survival in the coming years. this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issue, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football.
You are listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media. Part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. I want to thank our guest that was with us this evening. Uh, activists, organizers, created the Freely Truths app, Brother Mazik Kasher and Brother Steve Pickens. Uh, interesting discussion, Richard, and uh, glad to have those brothers in the community working. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, man, I'm telling you. It, it's men out here that's trying to do the work, Richard. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and and as you always say, we have to be celebrated and magnified and be able to get in touch with each other to be able to, to you know, really close up this this gap, <clears throat> especially, you know, um, to reinforce. And I like the idea of what they're doing as far as, um, you know, and even in selecting um, the, the candidate, if that's the case, but more importantly, creating the agenda and looking for um, creating a coalition around that agenda. And I can't see anybody really having any challenge with that. Richard, let me share a couple of these things before we go, because it has, it has everything to do with what with, with Brother Mazie and Brother Steve was talking about today about violence and it translating into these neighborhoods and the trauma that the people are suffering. And the young people, listen, the older people don't know how to deal with it. So you know that the younger people don't. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you remember I read those stats there from the right. poverty, the uh, publication Poverty and Cycle in Philadelphia about illiteracy. And, and let me just read that again, that important line. It says 52% of Philadelphia's uh, adults are functionally illiterate. And 67% are low literate, meaning having reading skills from 6th to 8th grade level. Almost 40% of adult Philadelphians struggle to fill out a job application, read doctor's instructions on their medicine, or to help their children homework. Right? Right. Now, let's go deep inside the numbers. Because those numbers, 52% can't read, mm-hmm. 67% are low literate. Mm-hmm. Now, look, I'm going to go over here to, because Philly Mag published an article uh, three years ago. It was right during the pandemic had started. Now, believe me, even though it's three years old, these stats haven't changed, and they, they most likely went up. Right. But let me read some of these. Uh, and the, the, the title of the article was 25 Stats to Show How Black People Are Doing in Philadelphia. Keep in mind that whatever I'm reading here talking about Philadelphia is no different if you live in New York uh, 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 Jackson, Mississippi, uh, Los Angeles, California. It's no different for blacks in the communities. Mm-hmm. I'm going to highlight some of these, Richard. Underemployment, because it, it breaks it down into several different things. The, the unemployment rate for black Philadelphians, which only accounts for those in the labor force, is 13.8% last year. Now, it said that only counts for those in the labor force. That's right. the overall number, Richard. Not what's going on in these particular communities. Mm-hmm. It says in comparison, 
uh, white Philadelphians age 16 and older has an unemployment rate of 3.8%. 3.8. And black unemployment was 138 mm. Um the working poor rate of black people in Philadelphia was 10%. Now, I'm going to go inside those numbers in a minute. Keep in mind that uh, thing about working poor. It says blacks who are classified as working poor accounted for 43% of all working poor workers living in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So of all the working poor people, they consider it 43%. Right. We're black. You working, you working. 43% of that group, that 10% is working. Exactly. The school district of Philadelphia snapshot of teacher demographics as of October 13th, 2020, revealed that black people make up 24.5% of the district's teachers and council force, while white people make up 66.5%. Triple the amount. So if your children are coming out of these schools and can't read, it's a direct correlation to who's teaching them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me read this one here. Black children, the poverty rate was 38% as of 2018. 38% of black children in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. living in poverty. Uh, a recent report on the access in Philadelphia found that more than 980,000 Philadelphians live in neighborhoods with an overabundance of unhealthy food. Most of these people are black, 45%. <laughs> the report uh, looked at data from July 1st, 2018. Uh, that found that black Philadelphians represented 79% of people served in housing crisis and housing assistance programs, but only made up 44% of the city's overall population. Mm. But you make up 79% of people that are either in housing crisis or in Mm -hmm. housing assistance programs. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I got a reaction, Elliot, but go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, now check this one out. As of June 2020, the unemployment rate in Philadelphia County is 58% above the national average in large parts of the city. It's estimated by 2030 that 600,000 Philadelphians, nearly 39% of the current total population, will not have the skills to secure jobs available in an increasing global economy. Now, guess who that's going to be? Based on the numbers mm-hmm. that I've read just a minute mm-hmm. ago, the illiteracy mm-hmm. rate, the, the underemployment, the low-level income. Now, I mean, that's, that, that's my comment. Now, let me go okay. back to the article. It says, according to the National Adult Literacy Survey, adults living at the lowest levels of literacy are on average almost 10 times more likely to be living below the poverty line. 26% of Philadelphians between 377,000 
and 413,000 people live below the federal poverty level. And 12.2% live in deep poverty. As defined as income below half of the poverty line. This is the highest rate among the nation's 10 most populous cities. Most troubling is that 38% of Philadelphia's children live in poverty. As a recent report of the uh, Public Citizens for Youth and Children notes, Philadelphia has a long and unfortunate distinction of having the highest poverty rate in any large city in this country. So wait a minute, Richard. 26% live in poverty. And 12.2% live in deep poverty. 26 and 12. Now, I don't know if that's 20, 12 out of the 26, or that's a different 12. No, that, no that's, makes- that's a difference. Because you remember what I read before. And, mm-hmm. and, let, me, and let me go back just to refresh your memory. It says, uh, oh boy, and I put these papers up here. Um, about the, uh, oh boy, and I mixed them up. About the uh, the the, the low the um, oh my goodness where is this paper at I got all these papers up here on this desk boy you remember the low what I read about the low level uh thirty eight percent yeah mm-hmm. I can't find it but you, you uh, but my point is this Richard. This is a Democratic city. According to black folks, the Democrats are the enemies of black people. And the, mm-hmm. I mean, excuse me, the Republicans are the enemies and the Democrats are our friends. This mm-hmm. city has been democratically run for several decades, maybe 40 years mm-hmm. or more. And blacks have been in significant offices in this city for at least 30 years. Or longer. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about mm-hmm. large numbers of blacks. Right. W- w- what is going on with these numbers? It's either what Brother Mazee and Brother Steve mentioned when they said, we talked to a high level. Now, he didn't give the name. They're not going to understand mm-hmm. why. You remember what he said, Richard? We talked to a high level black politician here in this city about what they were doing. And all he gave them was reasons why they can't do it. You remember? Yep. And reasons why he couldn't do anything to help them. That's when he was wondering, like, well, what are you in this position for? You remember what he said? Yeah. This is a democratic city. And look at the numbers. That's telling you, listen, I don't care. And we discussed this on the program before. Black people running around. I'm a citizen. I'm a citizen. See, the, the, the reality of what we're dealing with shows you, sure, you might be a citizen that live in this country. When you go to other places, you can show them your driver's license. I'm a citizen of the United States. But in reality, you're a second-class citizen, if that. Yeah. Let me read the definition of a second-class citizen. A second-class citizen is a person who is systematically and actively discriminated against within a state or political jurisdiction despite their normal status as a citizen or a legal resident there. Not necessarily slave or outlaw or illegal immigrant, immigrant or criminal. A second-class citizen has significant limited rights, civil rights, and socioeconomic opportunities. 
they are often the subject of mistreatment and exploitation at the hands of a uh, punitive superiors. Wait a minute, Richard. Does that, I mean, that definition yeah. alone tells black people that they're not full citizens here. I don't care what they believe or what, who believes it. You're not a full citizen. You're not. Now, let me, and this shows the dilemma, and it's not necessarily a dilemma, but this shows something that we're dealing with that we got to realize. Let me play this clip here by Tim Scott, and he said that this week. I don't know where he was speaking at, but he said it to an audience. Uh, Let me play what he said. If I can cue it up. Here it is. So Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. The time came when he had a chance to get even. Because payback is a natural instinct. We, we all have it. But a part of American exceptionalism isn't just looking for the most natural instinctive response to challenges, to crisis. It's going a step further. And what Joseph ultimately did was he decided not to get even, but to get ahead. That lesson in the Bible is a very important lesson for America. Because right now we have politicians who want to say that grievance is our future and not greatness. Because they believe that by using the provocative racial history of our nation, that they can create a wedge in this nation that will bring more power and more resources to their progressive agenda. I stand here to tell you, not on my watch. Not on my watch. I believe we live in the freest fairest land in the history of the world. And I thank God I'm an American. I thank God Almighty I am an American. <laughs> Richard, that's what we, now he said that this week because uh, it, 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 now I, I don't know where he said it at because it, it came up on the, uh, the, the news wire and it doesn't make a difference where he said it at. But Look at what he said. And they always use language. Now, he said the Democrats are using provocative racist history of the provocative racist history uh, uh, in our nation Mm -hmm. to divide us. Huh? Yeah. What? I mean, you know, come on. What? What? And he got a hand from the white audience and a couple of blacks that was there. But that's what we're dealing with. That's the mindset. Now, listen, I don't care. This society we live in, being that we don't control the society, if you got your own individual, whatever you want to do, go for it. If that's what you believe, go for it. But to put that out there, that you represent black folks, 
and you have a mentality like this, and black folks don't start coming together with a loud voice to fight against this, and I'm not talking about fight with these political parameters that they tell you to fight with, because you'll only find yourself in a box again. I just stated before, Philadelphia is a democratic city, been Democrat for over 50 years, and blacks have been in positions of power running it, basically, if you just look at black faces. They've been running it for 30 years. And look at the numbers that I told you that's going on in this city. Now, that's a democratic city, Richard, right? Philadelphia is a democratic city. Right, right. Let's look, let's flip the script now, because just say, for example, for the sake of argument, I don't believe that, uh, listen, I think that guy Elliot is off base. We're not second class citizens. We're full citizens. The, the constitution tells me that. Okay. Well, that's what you believe. According to the definition, you're not full citizens. You're second class citizens. If the, if that, but let's look at something else here. And, uh, uh, we we got a uh, <laughs> caller that jumped on. Stay with us, Brother Marcus. I'm going to get you on here. Because he sent me something earlier today, and I, I'm going to share it. That's that, In fact, that's what I really want to share here. If you remember, Richard, um, right before the Congress went out in the end of the year, they, you know, to, to, to kind of wave the banner for the CBC, and what was going on in Jackson, uh, you know, where, where Brother Patrick and all is, where they down there fighting at, they said that Benny Thompson secured all these millions for Jackson and the water system, right? You remember that? Yeah, yeah. Now, let me read it. Yeah, this came in December 22nd of last year. It just went out. It says Congress includes 600 million for Jackson's water system in an om- in the omnibus bill. The city of Jackson is at the cusp, cusp of receiving an unprecedented 600 million in federal funds to alleviate the water crisis, to rebuild significant portions of the drinking water system. U.S. Representative Benny Thompson, Democrat from Mississippi, and U.S. Senator Roger Wicker, a Republican from Mississippi, announced that the Congress congressional year-end uh, omnibus bill will include the enormous money exclusively for the city of Jackson, right? right? So they were waving the banners. Oh, look what Benny Thompson did. Oh, look what he did. All right. Now, let's flip over here because they had a big protest in Jackson uh, earlier in the week. First, let me play the comment made by uh, the governor of Jackson. And again, I want to thank uh, uh, Brother Marcus. Let me play his clip of what he said, and then I'm going to read to you what's going on, just in case you don't know. The individuals that are working on many of these bills that um, focus on the operations of the city of Jackson are well-intentioned. I think in many instances they're frustrated. Um, Look, Jackson is the murder capital of the world, and that is not a title uh, that we should be proud of, and the, the thought of doing nothing should not be an option. Okay, Richard. Now, you hear what he said, right? 
Mm-hmm. You threw out that murder capital, like, like, like you know. That Jack, Jackson's the murder capital of the world. Now, mm-hmm. listen, the United States is the murder capital of the world with the gun violence that goes on here. But he threw out Jackson. And there's reasons why they did that. Let me read some of this stuff that I highlighted in this article that just came out today. It says more than 200 people gathered outside on the steps of Mississippi's Capitol on January the 31st of this year, 2023, to protest against a bill that would expand uh, patrol territory of the state-run Capitol Police within the majority black city of Jackson and create a new court system with appointed rather than elected judges. It's really stripping power, and it's happening in a predominantly black city that has predominantly black leadership, says Sonia Williams-Barnes, a Democratic former lawmaker. You don't see this going on in any other areas of the state where they're one run by majority white people. Mayor Chokwe Antoine Lumumba said the proposal for, for courts with appointed judges reeks of apartheid and plantation politics. Citing the city's crime rate, Mississippi Republican-controlled House recently passed a bill that would expand areas of Jackson patrolled by state police force and create a new court system with appointed rather than elected judges. Both would give white state government officials more power over Jackson, which has the highest percentage of black residents of any city in the United States. The state Senate also passed a bill to establish a regional governing board for Jackson's long troubled water system with most members appointed by the state. The system nearly collapsed last year and is now under control of a federally appointed manager. So wait a minute, Richard, hold it. Let's, let's backtrack at the end of the season or at the end of the year, the democratic on their way out because now it's controlled by the Republicans appointed all this money for Jackson. Mm-hmm. A large sum of money in this omnibus pill. But now you see what's happening. The money is going to be controlled by other folks. And you think it's going to benefit the black community in Jackson? Uh, and, then, know, and, and, and wait a minute. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the Benny Thompson, the speaker of the, I mean, he, he, he did the, uh, the Trump uh, hearings and this and that, giving him all types of credit. Look at what's happening to the people down there that's supposed to be represented by him. See, this is what I'm talking about. Now, wait a minute. I just cited what's going on in Philadelphia, which is a democratically controlled city, been Democrat for over 50 years, and black run. Now you flip the script and go down south, a black city, mm-hmm. but the state is controlled by whites. Both, mm-hmm. both the same oppression is going on. So mm-hmm. what does that tell you? Are you a full citizen? Or are you a citizen of the second class, maybe third class? You tell me, any black person listening to this telecast that don't agree with what I'm saying, go to the facts. Ask mm-hmm. yourself the critical question. And then tell, start telling your children what we are up against here. And start making plans to do something about it. I just wanted to throw that out there, Richard. And, and Elliot, I have to, because you brought up the, the the takeover, and it reminds me of when we had the interview with, and I'm trying to think of the where that the um, the town where the state took over control of the town. Mason, of that was Mason, right? 
it's the same plan book, right? The state saying they're taking over the control of the town because they get this the Ford plant that's being developed. They the water they need the water access. The mayor now they put the when the blacks actually get control over they put them in a in hot to the you know to where they this money that they got to pay back to prove that they can't manage the town, which is why the state is taking over that 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 the county is taking over that that town in in, in there. But when you mentioned about Jackson's water um, thing, here's an article, Mississippi Free Press, Mississippi lawmakers trying to take over Jackson Water Fund, federal more, more, um, um, federal managers more. And I'll just go for, for you know, brevity because um, the, legisla- the legislation would create a new regional water authority board. <clears throat> now, you just gave what the state is doing to Jackson. You gave... The, the uh, as it says here, at the heart of the feud is a Senate Bill twenty eight twenty nine for that six hundred million dollars <laughs> that Congress approved, right? And now legislation would create a new regional water authority board to oversee the water system, sewage and drain system. The governor and lieutenant governor would be appointed a majority of we would appoint a majority of the board over the years. State leaders, including the current governor, uh, Tate Reeves, have expressed skepticism of whether Jackson is capable of managing it, its own affairs. Federal agencies, including the Justice Department and Environmental Protection Agency, have also questioned the city's management of its water and waterway sewage. So, and, and it's important to expand this. It ain't just the state, right? That's the bureaucracy. What is that? The Federal Environmental Protection Agency. They also question They question it. Yeah. Now, now, Richard, wait a minute. Didn't we just talk on Friday's program about that declaration of white independence that was written right. to give grounds to attack Wilmington and massacre our people? You remember what they said then? They said that black people don't have the capability of managing towns and their funds. You remember that? Yeah. So, what did you just read? Wilmington was 130 years ago. That mindset haven't changed. Listen, our people got to stop. You got to stop with this stuff. You're in denial, thinking these people's mindset is going to change. It's not. You just read that you're incapable. The the town is 83 percent black. And a lot of the offices there is run by black people. But you're incapable of handling money of that fashion. Now, they might not think they are. They got no problem with a Negro uh, uh, offering the money. Uh, But they got a problem. In this article, Jackson Mayor Chukwe A. Lamuma built on um, Hemphillin Critique Monday Quote, it is a colonial power takeover of our city. It is a pla- it is plantation politics. I have not been shy in the ways that I have referenced this. So it ain't like, you know, Brother Lamuma ain't aware of what's going on. As you say, are we aware? 
I hear so many of these stations wasting time talking about. I just heard this station here in Philadelphia, Black Talk Station, wasting time talking about, oh, Trump need to go to jail, Trump, what he did in January. Who the hell? Look at this stuff that's going on. And these people wasting time talking about Trump in January 6th. This man, Benny Thompson, get all this money basically to deliver to the hands of white folks. What is this going to do for black people? All these people down there that's going to take control of that $600 million and possibly more, black people is not going to benefit from it at all. They'll still be turning on the faucet and brown water is coming out. We see it in Flint. We see it in Michigan. We see it, I mean, like over and over and over. New York. Up there was at Rochester, Buffalo. It's crazy. And it's the same mindset. It ain't no Southern mindset. It ain't no Republican mindset. Just like Malcolm said, 50 years, over 50 years ago before he was murdered. Don't say it's a, what did he say, Richard? Don't say it's a Republican. It's a, uh, shoot. It's a government. This is a government conspiracy. They just come right out and say it. Anything that takes place on the on this door in their so-called hallowed halls is the government. Let me go before we go. Let me grab Brother Marcus and get his comments. Six oh two, six oh two. Yes, brother Elliot, I'm, I'm brother Richard. Yes, brother Marcus. You, you know, you might see the same thing happen here in Memphis too. You know, because see, Memphis now the the commissioners the other day just. Um, pass a resolution to do um, um, a study for reparations. Five five million dollars they allocate five million dollars to do some studies for reparation for for black people. So, so all the all the the black commissioners voted for it, right? And all the white commissioners white commissioners said no. That uh, that is un-American. It, that, you know, so and the same thing what Tim Scott said. You're trying to divide us. I thought we were already divided. <laughs> you know, so what the hell these people? They really think we're stupid, you know. They really think black people stupid. Yes. But all I would tell, all I say to these politicians, especially these black politicians, is that look, if put this in front of them wherever black people make up the mass majority of the population black people must control the economics and body politics of that community and put it in front of the black politicians say if you don't support this we're not gonna vote for you simple if you don't support this year what we're putting forward, go sit down somewhere. And even when the politician is in there, he's going to get a fight. Because you see what, what they're doing to Brother Lumumba down there. You see what they're doing to black folks down there. So this thing is only going to intensify. It's going to intensify, but, you know, to that, to a point where it's going to pop. Yes. <laughs> it's going it to pop. You know what I'm saying? So... I don't know what's going to happen when it pops, but, you know, it, it can't keep going on like this. It, it, it just cannot keep going on like this. And, what, you know, if, even where 
I am from in Jamaica, you know. Jamaica is 98% Africans. Do they control 98% of the economy? No. You know, we have everybody else, East Indians, uh, Chinese, uh, Arabs, everybody else caught in the money out, you know, and they have the black flunky in the air. But that's getting ready to pop too. So <laughs> just, let's just wait and see a, li- a little bit more. All right? Anyway, good brothers, wow. keep on keeping on. Thank you very much for the program. Talk to you soon. Okay. Richard, we come to the end of a pro- another program, man. Yes, yes. Before we go, uh, uh, Mondays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., African Perspectives with Brother Oshie, always interesting topics and dialogues on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, on Tuesday, well, it's not yet, so we'll, I'll just wait on the Black Reality Think Tank because they're going to start the program again in March. So we'll just wait before I announce it. But that'll be his slot. Uh, when they come on, Brother Ofonso and, and Brother and Sister Lotus, that'll be 8 to 10 p.m. on Tuesday, the return of Black Reality Think Tank. On Thursday, Mississippi on the move, the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Brother Patrick Lumumba, waiting on them to get rested up. Richard, after spending time up there in Colorado in nine-degree nine windshield, Richard. Yeah. I ain't messing with them guys. Yeah, but uh, waiting for them. They'll be back on to start their program very soon. Time for Awakening is back from 8 until on Fridays. And on Saturdays from 7 to 9, the elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James as host. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace.
Save the children. 